Welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today we have my good friend Jonathan Martin. We've actually pulled him off the house floor. So all things that are uh Kevin McCarthy and the chaos on the house floor. First of all, Jonathan, you got a new job since last time we talked, didn't you? I did. I found paying work. I'm I'm glad to say. So my family appreciates that. I can I can pay the bills. No, uh, I'm really excited. I actually have, have started my own reported column on politics at Politica, which was my, my journalistic home back in the day. And after 10 great years at the New York Times, I'm, I'm doing my own thing at Politico and um, love having my own column, my own voice. So it's been a lot of fun so far. Folks can find what I was. me on Twitter. I wasn't talking about that. I was talking about the fact I was talking about the fact that you're a TCU dad and the fact that you guys <laughs> in the national championship on my dad. I'm, I'm still I'm still an LSU Tigers fan, but our, our our kiddo and our tuition money goes to TCU. So, you know, we got we got to show some love to the frogs this year. So we are firmly on board the frog wagon uh, rolling to L.A. and that, that national title game. Let me ask you this. Uh, what's the bigger party school, TCU or LSU? You know, that's a pretty competitive uh, contest right there. I think uh, by sheer size alone, LSU and those Louisiana kids, uh, they're, they're, they're pretty intense. But the, the, the TCU kids are, are no slouches either. I can tell you, being in Phoenix for the semifinals, man, there was a lot of purple out there. Uh, <laughs> the big, big, big frog nation, man. So roll toes. All right, let's hop right into it. Can you explain to people what's going on with Kevin McCarthy for people who don't live and breathe Washington every day? Uh, I feel like, why would you want to chase something seven times and get beat seven? Ellen didn't even make me, she didn't even reject me seven times technically until we got married. Um, so t- <laughs> tell me what's going on with Kevin McCarthy and his humiliation he's facing. So McCarthy is 20 short about of being um, uh, not 20, but he's losing 20 votes, I should say, from the Republican side of the aisle. He can only afford to lose four and still be. So he's got a math problem, all right? Kevin McCarthy desperately wants to be Speaker of the House. This is his, his life's ambition. He was a snapper in the House, uh, somebody who has sort of climbed this ladder politically in the House. And so he's not going to give up easily. You know, he has conceded so much. He has given away so much politically. Uh, in terms of how the House is run. And he, he is he is right now uh, on the verge of really limiting his power, Bakari, to an extraordinary degree. And the question now is, is the speakership, if he does win, even going to be worth having? Uh, is it going to be worth being speaker when you've got such little leverage? And I think the, the answer that he's been willing to offer is yes. But even with those concessions, Bakari, I'm not sure that he can get the the gavel yet. And the reason for that is because in those 20 holdouts, there are at least five who are not going to give in to any concessions, at least anytime soon, because they don't want a concession. They just want to stop Kevin. And that's his big problem at the end of the day is those hardcore uh, dead enders, if you will, who are not going to give in because they're not looking for uh, negotiation. They're just looking to block Kevin's path. I mean, that's that's damning because this humiliation that he's taking, I mean, it's just a whoop in every, every turn. Um, let's go to this question. Should Democrats, and this is what I've been trying to, I mean, I, there's not, we're not at the point where you're going to have some moderate Democrats peel off and join no. the Republican Party. I mean, that's just not where we are in this country. So should Democrats care about any of this at all? It seems like chaos. Should we be cheering it on or am I missing anything here? 
No, I think Democrats should definitely be engaged on this. Look, this is only the beginning of this Congress. They can't even start the Congress. They don't even have a Congress. No one's sworn in. They they don't have a Congress. There's no Congress. They haven't been sworn in. And the reason for that is because you can't begin a new Congress in the House until you swear in a speaker. And so, yeah, Democrats should be really worried. If this is only the beginning, then what's it going to be like when they're trying to raise the debt ceiling to pay America's bills? Uh, If they botch that, uh, that's going to have real impact on the financial markets. And then at the end of the year, you got to fund the government, keep the government open. How are they going to do that? You know, I this is really showing the challenges of how narrow this governing majority is on, this, on the House side and the limitations of even doing the basics going forward, Macari. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. I mean, I, I, I mean, I feel sorry for Kevin, but... I guess the next question you have to ask is if it's not McCarthy, then who is it? Is it Jim Jordan? Is it Scalise? Is it Donald Trump? Yeah, the obvious fallback is probably Bakari Sellers from South Carolina. Um, <laughs> no, no, the uh, yes. uh, he's available. He's available. Uh, <laughs> although I, I think the, the congressional salary is probably too low for, for, for his state. <laughs> Anyways, um, they can't afford him. No, I think Scalise is the obvious fallback. Um, He's McCarthy's number two. He does not come off as polarizing a figure within the Republican conference as Kevin McCarthy. The hardliners, I think, could swallow him more easily uh, if it, for no other reason than just he's not Kevin. Um, the problem with that, Bakari, as you know, there's a very delicate dance in his legislative negotiations. He can't be seen as holding the political murder weapon. He can't have his fingerprints on the weapon. Uh, because then that's going to alienate the McCarthy loyalists. So, you know, the, the McCarthy's got to fall or got to show significant weakness before Scalise makes a move. Because Scalise doesn't want to be seen as having his prints on the crime scene, right? Um, and so Scalise is, is being loyal. He's hanging back. But you know, he, he would obviously be the one. Now, the other question is, do Democrats at some point here get nervous about the institution and or see an opportunity this Congress and try to cut a deal with a small group of House Republican moderates and find some kind of consensus pick. Now, I know we're far from that. And I think Scalise is a more logical fallback than that. 
but it's possible, you know? The longer this thing goes, that's possible. I think it's still unlikely, but the longer this thing goes and there's no speaker, uh, you know, especially if we break for the weekend, uh, do Democrats start to sort of start, you know, try to find Republicans and find some kind of a consensus speaker? Uh, I think every day that passes and there is no speaker, that remote possibility becomes somewhat more plausible. So once Republicans get their act together and elect the speaker, what should we expect from this new divided Congress? Will they be any legislating whatsoever, or will it just be talking about Hunter Biden's laptop? I think there'll be a lot of investigations into the Biden administration from the House side. And I think that the two chambers, the House and Senate, regarding, are going to struggle to pass even the most basic must-pass legislation like the debt ceiling, like funding the government, which they're going to have to do later in the year. You know, the reason why the Congress stayed in session deep into December and nearly to Christmas this year is because the Senate and both parties, Democrat and Republican, knew that if they punted it to the new year, the new House majority uh, and the, G- the new House GOP majority was not going to be able to pass a bill funding the government uh, for the next day, let alone for the next year. That's why those guys stayed and passed that massive omnibus spending bill at the end of December is because they knew they had to fund the government for the next year because of this, because of the fact that the House GOP majority is just not going to be willing to do even basic things like that. And it turns out they can't even find a speaker to even start the Congress. So knowing all we know now and and living through this, I'm going to switch gears to the Senate. And I feel like if I'm a Democrat, the only thing I care about for the next two years is confirming judges because nothing else will substantively get done. Are there limitations on what Biden can do in the Senate in terms of appointing judges? And am I looking too limited at what the Senate can actually focus on? Um, A little bit. I mean, I think judges, there's still still a lot of people to appoint. You know, Mayor Mayor Eric Garcetti, actually former mayor of L.A., for example, did not get confirmed as ambassador to India. That's a pretty damn big country with no U.S. ambassador. So I think there's still um, appointments uh, beyond judgeship that that Biden's going to need to make that he can probably get through uh, I-5149 Senate. Um, But in terms of legislating, I just think it's really hard to see what can move out of the House. I mean, this, it's going to have to be the, the most least controversial kind of thing. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, this Senate's going to be heavy on appointments, uh, uh, judiciary and otherwise. Switching gears and moving down the street in Washington, Joe Biden in two years accomplished legislatively with razor thin margins in Congress than almost any president in recent history. Um, and almost none of it has translated into like approval rating gains. Um, and I think we've come to the reality that his approval rating probably won't tick up much in the next two years. Am I wrong here? Or are there things that the White House can do to move the needle that I am missing? So I think the best thing that, the, that, can, that can, Biden folks can do is just, you know, keep trying to sell what they've already done and make the case, make the case that they've helped improve the lives of Americans through the legislation that they passed and go out and do some salesmanship of those bills, uh, a lot of which are now being funded, like the infrastructure bill. And I think if Americans feel those improvements in their lives that the Biden folks are going to try to sell, and they see the economy uh, moving, they see inflation being somewhat uh, curved, um, they see salaries rising, then I think Biden's numbers will tick up. I think, you know, the where Biden has any give, if you will, Picard, where, where Biden's got any capacity to sort of show some, some improvement 
It's with you know, independent voters who have been unhappy with the state of the economy. And you can bring those folks back, although I think Biden's numbers can nudge up higher in the 40s. I think it's going to be damn hard for Biden to ever get much beyond 50, because obviously the, the opposition to him is just so entrenched. Uh, but yeah, I think he can prove his numbers at the margins. Uh, and he can do that by selling what they've done for the most part, because they ain't going to be getting done a lot more in these next few months, at least in this Congress. So look, I, I'm going to get a lot of blowback for this next question. And by virtue of being on the show with me, you in turn will receive that blowback as well. So I would love to I'm be- I'm here for it. And people can tweet me at jmart, at jmart on Twitter. If you got complaints or criticism, or you just want to tell me how handsome you think Bakari is, or frankly I am, uh, I will accept those DMs. So look, this is, this, is, this is the delicate balance and what I call the 2024 dilemma. Even I would take a rematch of Biden and Trump. Every Democrat would take a, a rematch of Biden and Trump. Sure. The country probably doesn't want to see two octogenarians, but we'll take right. our chances with that. We believe we can win there. But right. there's going to be a competitive Republican primary and a Biden-DeSantis matchup or a Biden-Haley matchup or a Biden-Tim Scott matchup or a Biden and anybody else matchup is new versus old and does not bode well for Democrats. There, I said it. Talk us through the 2024 Democratic dilemma. You raise a central point here. Biden's fate in part hinges on the status of Trump. You know, the reason Biden got nominated was because Democrats wanted to beat Trump. The reason why Biden won was because the country had soured on Trump and his handling of COVID and just the drama of four years. And here we are once again going to the next election and you know, Joe Biden's fate still is riding on Donald Trump to a large degree. Here's how. I think Biden's case to Democrats, I, I beat Trump once, I can do it again. We can't take any risks in the primary, nominate me again, and I'll defeat Trump again. But Corey, that gets complicated. If Trump is widely seen to be a spent force, and if by the fall of 23, this coming fall, if Trump is, is on the ropes, if he's indicted, or if politically he's just kind of irrelevant and the GOP has moved on because they want somebody that, that they think can win. What does that mean for Joe Biden? Because what happens to his case to Democrats of being able to beat Trump if Trump obviously isn't going to be the nominee? Because then Democrats will say, well, you know, Mr. President, uh, shouldn't we turn to somebody younger? Like, why do we need you if Trump isn't the same threat that he was? And I think that that's what the Biden folks are going to have to grapple with. Now, the timing obviously is uncertain. Trump could still be the nominee. Trump could still be strong this fall. Uh, and if that's the case, obviously Biden's got a compelling case to make. But Bakari, as you know, there's a force field around Biden now with Democrats that you can't criticize him. And you certainly can't challenge him in the primary because you don't want to be seen as helping Trump, right? What happens to that force field if Trump isn't the same threat? Oh, that, that force field goes away. Yeah, it goes away. Let's handicap some of the people. Let's say that Biden doesn't run. And by the way, I still think Trump is the odds on favorite because the more people that run for president of the United States as a Republican, the more likely he is to win because he has 25 to 30 percent of the, of the Republican base, if not more. Um, so Vice President Harris, any handicap her chances to be president of the United States or at least. I know she's your favorite team so far. I know you're 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 on board. The, the, the Commonwealth wagon have been from day one. Uh, I think that she'd have significant structural advantages starting off. And obviously the question would be, 
Biden put the full power of the White House behind her and embrace her as his preferred successor. And that, to me, is the first question, right? Uh, you know, if he does, I think that it makes it harder for other candidates. Um, if, if he doesn't, um, I think you'll have much more of a robust primary that takes place. Um, and I think even if Biden does endorse her, I still think you have a primary. So who, who looks at it? Well, let, let's start with the current administration, okay? I have Mitchell, Andrew, Pete Buttigieg, Gina Raimondo. I thought Pete, I thought Pete Buttigieg was the next United States Senator from Michigan. Well, that's an interesting question. Now that Stabenow has decided to retire, uh, is he going to go to his new home and try to run for the Senate, or will he stick at DOT uh, and and uh, and defer to other folks in Michigan on that? So that will give us some insight as to his ambition. Then Bakari, I think speaking of Michigan, I think you'll have governors look at it. You know, start with Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan. Then there's a host of other governors: Gavin Newsom, Bill Murphy, Jerry Polis, J.B. Uh, Pritzker, who I think will look at it. You got this two two new governors who clearly uh, have ambition to go places: Bakari, Westmore, and Maryland, Josh Shapiro in Pennsylvania. Maybe too soon for them to run 24. But, you know, they might look at it. And then lastly, obviously, the Senate, right? If you run for president before, you probably are looking at running again, right? So Amy Klobuchar, Cory Booker, even Bernie Sanders. I think you'd have a pretty robust field, at least initially. Raphael Warnock is a name you didn't mention. I should have mentioned Warnock and Mark Kelly, two senators who won really competitive races and crucial presidential uh, states, Georgia and Arizona. Uh, and, and I think could be seen as um, uh, as as real comers. Fantastic biographies, both. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, Get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear. Especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. Will South Carolina be the first state in the Democratic presidential primary? And what are your colleagues saying about that? Other than they want South Carolina to be it because we're the best food, best drinks, best people, et cetera. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, mostly the best people, right? So that's why we all like, uh, you know, want to go down there and see you. Um, yeah, I think today the DNC will likely ratify that. Um, here's the question to me. Uh, does New Hampshire still have their first primary and to blow off the, the Democrats' calendar? And what kind of coverage does that get? I think that's interesting. The other question I have is if Biden does run Bakari and there's not really much of a Democratic primary in 24, the calendar is not going to matter that much because the, the contest won't be all that competitive. And Biden is going to be ratified, basically, right? Coordinated. But let's say that Biden does run again and then 28 you got an open Democratic seat for president. Does the DNC then also keep the same Biden calendar, or do they go back to a different kind of calendar? That may be, I think, the bigger question. Biden can wire the calendar this time, I think, for his reelect, but do they stick with that at 28? All right, one of my final questions for you. I want you to play fortune teller for me and make five political predictions for 2023. Um, okay. Uh, Picari Sellers will start his 2024 primary against Jim Clyburn sometime probably in late spring. I just rolled my okay. eyes. So. Uh, okay, sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm kidding. No, look, I think uh, here's some predictions. I think the basics are going to be very hard to get done in Congress because of the, the challenges that Republicans have in the House. I think it's going to be tough to get even sort of rudimentary must-pass bills done to keep the government uh, going. Um, well, I think that you'll see a lot of people get in the Republican presidential race. Trump is not going to scare folks off. And, you know, they're going to have a competitive uh, presidential primary. I think look to DeSantis to get in the race after his session in Florida ends later this spring. Uh, I think um, you'll have a host of others, but uh, uh, you'd also get in and at least see how vulnerable uh, Trump is. I think the uh, the most fascinating governor's race in America this year uh, is going to be in in Kentucky, uh, where you know a Democrat Andy Bashir is going to try to get win re-election in a really deep red state, and you've got a primary that is super fascinating on the Republican side. Um, and then I think lastly, I would say um, uh, some Democrat at some point is going to be awfully tempted to get into the 2024 primary um, against uh, Joe Biden, especially if Trump is weakened by this fall. If, if Trump appears weakened, if he's indicted, if he's just sort of flat on his back in the polling, the party's obviously moved on. Uh, I think some Democrat who's ambitious is going to step up and say it, it's, it's time for Biden to move on. But I think that, that, that hinges on Trump. Last question for, for you. How can people find you? What are you writing about now? Well, I've got this reported column on politics that I've really enjoyed doing in Politico. You can find me there at politico.com where you can find all my columns when they come out uh, on my Twitter um, handle, which is at jmart, J-M-A-R-T, uh, at jmart. So look forward to seeing folks online. And thanks for having me, Bakari. Appreciate you. Always. Thank you, brother. Thanks for joining the show. It's gone.